We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So last night, I kind of unwittingly, for the sermon last night, I was in the middle of talking about Jacob, the character from the Torah that we're in the midst of at this moment. And I started singing, hit the road, Jack. We kind of need Noah here, you know? Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back, no. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back. Mm-mm, mm-mm-mm. So Jacob is a man on the run. Jacob is the man who is named for the foot. Of course, the foot is not his own. It's the foot of his brother, Esau. But Jacob is a character who is constantly evading. Evades the law, evades his father. Jacob is oblique. One of the word named for Yaakov, not just heel, but Jacob's name doesn't just mean akev, heel, but la'akov means to come crookedly to something. He's a deceiver. He's a dissembler. He... He wears his brother's clothing. When he runs away at this week's parsha, he leaves his home because of the fear of Esau's retribution. Right? His brother, who sold his own birthright, that's true. But Jacob steals the blessing. It probably belonged to him, whatever it is, but. He's afraid of Esau because Esau says he's going to kill him. So Jacob runs away. He leaves a dysfunctional family system that is, right? Use our own language. He doesn't look back. He leaves. And he winds up with his, his mother's brother, Lavan, Rebecca's brother, Laban, Whitey. Lavan means white. And it's interesting because in Laban's house, he also is deceived by Laban, right? Wherever he goes, Jacob finds deception. He's deceived because he's given Leah instead of Rachel. He falls in love with his cousin Rachel, but instead of Rachel, he gets Leah. Jacob's story is a very powerful story on every level. We could talk about Jacob. Like, Jacob is me, he's you, he's the story, the hero's journey to use Campbell's phrase. Right? He's the one in search of himself, but he doesn't define himself as Jacob. He receives a blessing that belonged to his brother by saying he was impersonating his brother. And Jacob won't fully be Jacob until he actually stands in his own truth, who he is. I am Jacob. And then he'll receive a new name. He'll transform when he acknowledges what's true. In Kabbalah, Jacob's, Jacob becomes the embodiment of truth, even though, of course, he's anything but truthful. But by the time Jacob's life is over, he will know truth from beginning, middle, and end. He will know truth from every angle. And so Jacob, in the reading this morning, in our open up, we're about to read, Jacob has decided he's heard from God, or whether that's true or not, but he felt 20 years, I've been away from my family, it's time to go home. The Bible moves so quickly, by the way, through things. We have to like sit with like what that might feel like. 
to be to not have gone home for Thanksgiving for 20 years? Like what might have been so bad that you didn't go home for 20 years? And nobody called him to tell him to come home. But he had a sense that now the time was right to come home. We don't know why. Could be because now he felt he could present himself appropriately to his dad. He has, he's wealthy, after all. He's made something of himself. The text tells us very clearly that he takes all of his property, his possessions, Lavo el Yitzchak Aviv, to come to his father. And then verse 17 in chapter 31, if you want to look and follow along in the Chumash, it's on page 181. 181. And Jacob gets up after he's convinced Rachel and Leah that it's time to go. They agree. They feel like, you know, we've got nothing with Lavan. He was, you know, he's cheated us too. We're not, we're not happy. We're leaving. And so Jacob, he gets up. Right? He places his children his wives onto camels. Verse 18, he takes all of the wealth that he has amassed. He's become quite a wealthy guy. The verse, the word for possessions or wealth appears three times in verse 18. He's like loaded. He's loaded, loaded, loaded. And of course, by the way, this is a very poignant moment because he's, how much, what did he leave his house with? Back in, in last week's As the Torah Turns, how did he leave his house. What did he have with him? He had like a stick. He left his house with like 20 bucks in his pocket. And then he goes to another city. He makes a fortune. Now he's ready to go home. It's like, Dad, see? Verse 19. And now verse 19 tells us that Whitey, his father-in-law, has gone to shear the sheep. And as Rabbi Hammer said this morning in our open book, whenever characters in the Bible go to shear sheep, watch out. Something is about to happen. Right? Judah, chapter 38, not good. Laban, Lavan, white guy, goes down to shear sheep. And Rachel steals the word thieving, vatignov, geneva, appears here, it's the, it, to use, you know, Franz Rosenzweig and, and Martin Buber had this term, a light vort, a word that will appear over and over again and repeat itself as if to wink at you like a neon sign in a Parsha, this is important, this is important, if it appears on numerous occasions. So the word to steal, why would stealing be important in a story about Jacob? Right? You think the guy's thinking about, I mean, if the text is his mind on some level, I mean, the Torah is also the mind of the text. It's our mind. There, there are things that are stolen that might not have needed to be stolen. But right, Jacob lives with the fact that he stole his way to where he is today. And now Rachel seems to be stealing. How does Rachel get into this whole business? Bonnie and Clyde. Batiknov Rachel et trafim avia. And now Rachel steals the trafim. Right? This is a term, this word in Hebrew, nobody, like, we haven't come across this word yet in the Bible for idols. Trafim are idols, household idols. She steals Lavan's idols when he's down and away in getting his sheep sheared. And then verse 20 begins, 
both of them stole something. She steals idols, and what does Jacob steal in verse 20? Vayignov Yaakov et lev lavan ha'arami. And now Jacob steals the heart of his father-in-law, who's no longer called his father-in-law, but the Aramean. In this, that he didn't tell him he was running away. And then verse 21, to finish this little piece. He runs away. Now the word boreach, to run away, to flee, appears twice. Another word that repeats. He steals and he runs. He steals and runs. That's Jacob's life. Right there in a nutshell. He steals and he runs. He steals and he runs. And Rachel gets in on the act. She steals idols. Now what are these idols? For a moment, we talked about this in our open book this morning. Well, a number of possibilities. They could be like... She was trying to cleanse out her father's house before she left. You know, like, I lived in a house with a lot of things that were unhealthy. I'm taking that with me, as it were. I'm taking that residue of inappropriate, unwholesome, unskillful spirituality, whatever it might be. I'm cleansing the house like Abraham did in the folktale. I'm breaking the idols, taking them with me. Of course, the problem with that is that she doesn't actually destroy the idols. She keeps them. And when Lavan, later on in the Bible, comes running after his daughter and his son-in-law, he asks where his household deities went. And Rachel has them. She hides them underneath a cushion and says, I can't get up because I'm menstruating. So she doesn't destroy these idols. Maybe they are power idols, power deities. Right? This was maybe what belonged to her father. She stole the power of her dad because it really belonged to him, her. He said, I'm going to take what belongs to me even if I have to steal it. By hook or by crook, I'm going to take what belongs to me. Could be that these, these idols are representing something more. It could be that it was normal. It could be that women, particularly in the Bible, have these idols as power sources. And that's actually what Rabbi Jill Hammer was sharing with us this morning. That That's why the text says she placed them, as it were, underneath her way of women, as it were. The men's, like, these idols are the source of my own power. But something, something else is at play also, and I want to bring two other opportunities here. You know what? I'm going to stop right here. What do you think? Let's open it up. What do you all think is happening here in this, these four short verses? I've said a lot. What do you think is happening with, within Rachel's character and within Jacob, what it's telling us? So keep bringing it back to us. What is it telling me and you? Livia Shankin. No. So trafe, the word, oh, somebody asked me that inside. The word trafe comes from the word tarof, which means to tear. So an animal that is not slaughtered properly, but is torn rather, dies in the field, is called trafe, trafut. No, it's with a tet, not a taf. Anyone else? What's going on with these little idols? Yeah, you were in, beautifully, you didn't say anything in the open book. Yeah. So, so you're contrasting Jacob stealing and Rachel stealing. She, it says that he stole Laban's heart because he left without saying goodbye. And with Rachel, it doesn't say she stole his heart by stealing his idols. Right? She stole his idols. He stole his heart. 
Meaning maybe what? That he was closer with his father-in-law than his own daughter was? Or... So that the idols here are less important to Texas signaling to us than communicating with someone clearly what your intentions are when you're about to, okay, so yeah, Lori. So, so Jacob in general doesn't know how to reconcile face to face. In fact, the text will tell us later on in the Torah when Jacob finally, right, when Jacob finally wrestles with an angel or some other, the text tells us that that wrestling takes place at a place called face to face or seeing God face to face, right? Jacob doesn't know how to be frontal, doesn't know how to communicate. In fact, the text very clearly indicates that part of his evasion is his inability to speak something that he needs to say. Jacob can't say the thing he needs to say. He can't say, I got to go because you've been cheating me. Or I got to go make for myself. He does say out loud that, you know, I haven't made for my family, but, right, he's not saying something. Which is relational trauma. Which is part of, he carried a trauma forward where he wasn't relating to his own father, right? And his father doesn't relate. So it's kind of intergenerational trauma is happening here. He kind of carried it forward. And he doesn't pass it back. He just keeps carrying it forward. And so this is just another instance. So in our open book this morning, we talked about maybe reading Rachel stealing against Jacob stealing. Meaning, we wanted to read Rachel like she took power. That's one way to say it. She took what belonged to her. Right? It belonged to her and she was going to take it no matter what. Her father wasn't going to give it to her. So she said, you know what? I'll take it myself. Thank you very much. And that's a very powerful read. There are people in the world that have to know that their power, if they keep waiting for someone to give it to them, you can wait a long time. You can wait a long time to have your father, your mother, your boss, your husband, your wife, your children give you the thing that you want. And the text is telling us very powerfully that Rachel is a vigilante for what belongs to her. And one could also read Jacob that way. Right? Jacob really had that birthright coming to him, but Rebecca knew that Isaac wasn't smart enough to see it, so Rebecca, she maneuvered things, you know, Parents know. Parents know these things. And so she did it because it wasn't going to happen. She took the law into her own hands, the law, the karma, the destiny. That's one way to read it. But another way to read it is this, that Jacob always had it coming to him and he actually deceived and lied. And that was the obstacle to him getting what he always had there waiting for him. And in that reading now, Rachel could also be read in that light too. Maybe Rachel also was going to get those little gods. But she winds up taking them and she didn't really need to. And we can imagine in our own lives, for ourselves, what it's like to feel like we have to work hard for something that really shouldn't be that hard. That we have to work so hard to receive something that should have been given freely. And all of the manipulations and all of the neuroses or the character structures or all of the unskillful means, the non-upaya, the unskillful means by which we go about getting the very thing that was our birthright to begin with. And it continues and it continues. Something in Jacob feels that he needs to take the world with suspicion. Now, there could be good reasons for that. And maybe it works. 
But here's the thing. Jacob will now, 20 years after having left his parents' home, running away from someone who was, right, he was afraid of, guess what? Now he has all this money. He has a whole retinue of kids and family. And guess what? He's still running. It's like, oh, when I get that, then I'll stop running. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. When I get to this level financially, then I'll never worry about money ever again. Does that ever happen to anybody? When I get to this level of security in my family, then, right, Jacob is the paragon of you think that is what you need. And Jacob is there going, oh, look at this. I have all of this stuff and I still have to face Esau. I still have to run away from Lavan. And Rachel has to steal these idols. Wild. Take two more comments, and then we're going to come in for a landing. Yeah, I saw Bhatia's hand. It's important to know what their intention is. We don't know their intention. Right, so clearly the, they do think this is the right thing to do. And we as readers of the text and listeners to the text, we, can, we know the story, so we kind of tragically watching someone make the same mistake over and over again, thinking that it's going to work. That's the definition of insanity, right? Is that you do think the same thing over and over again thinking it's going to work. So it's one piece. Yeah, I, I, I thought I saw some hands here. Yeah, Daniel and then... Yeah. And her husband was very clearly has his own God. So she's taking this to have it with her. Not because she just got to get him to stay with her. So when you're in a marriage, right? So you're in a marriage and, and Rachel walks in. This is, we said this in the open book this morning. Rachel walks in with her own gods. Right? She walks in with her own place. And part of this, right, is that in a way, she had to take her birthright, maybe in this reading, not because she, Laban wouldn't give it to her, but because she was scared that Jacob wouldn't, right? So in that way also, and thought of this, it's really powerful. So the same way Jacob doesn't tell Laban and steals his heart, Rachel has to steal these gods, and both Laban doesn't know, and Jacob doesn't know, which is very powerful because later on in the text, when Laban comes looking for his gods, Jacob will say out loud, I have no idea what you're looking for here. Nobody stole these gods. And whoever stole the gods, let that person die. And Rachel indeed does die later on in the story. And the rabbis say, you see, Jacob, be careful. But here it's like there's something about bringing your own history, your own stories into a relationship. And, and it's also interesting to think that Jacob, who had such a hard time being frontal, would be in a relationship with somebody else who has a hard time being frontal too. Like maybe Rachel, like we're reading this very 21st century, but maybe Rachel couldn't say, hey, uh, you know, Jake, I, 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 we got to talk. You see, I, I love your God, but, you know, I grew up with Christmas. You know? Do I have to lie about that? You know? Woo! So there's something very powerful here about the integration of these two families and, and how hard it is to communicate clearly that Daniel is, is raising. I want to call... <clears throat> Karen, were you going to say something like that? Well, very close, actually. So it's interesting that Daniel said that. The only thing I would add to it is that I would see Rachel as a believer, right? She believed, but I think she was trying to accept the God of Jacob, but she still believed in her idol. 
So here, in, in the, you know, so in the Bible, here's the thing. In the Bible, idols are not a great thing, right? But it's clear that, it, that for Rachel, in this moment, we can kind of move away slightly from the, you know, idol worship and all of the value judgment around that and say Rachel needed to bring something from home with her in order to feel like she was a, an equal partner, that she had something that connected her back. And so with all of this story, there is a moment here in the text which I, you know, I think Romamu is the kind of place where we can actually do this because usually the valence around this story is Rachel stole idols. Shame on Rachel. In fact, all of the classic commentators in the early, uh, in the medieval period, early commentators, you know, what's up with Rachel and idol worship? Bad. But would, wouldn't it be wonderful to read it slightly against that grain this morning? Say number one, that sometimes we use skillful means that are unskillful because conditions are such we haven't learned that we can ask for what we need, A, B. Sometimes, often when we're leaving a familial and familiar situation, we need to take something strong and powerful from that in order to bring us into the next place in our lives. She's about to take a journey, and she needs this. She needs these energies, she needs these truths, she needs these traditions, she needs these customs in order for her to integrate. So this is a powerful moment, and I wanted to call forward for the open up this morning. And the open up this morning is a blessing to be able to take from the past into the present and into the future that which is necessary in a straight way. A way of recognizing that the past, even if it is painful, even if it is, right, maybe not ideal, that the past holds things that we are justifiably needing to bring with us into the present and forward into the future. The blessing this morning is that may the Holy One of blessing strengthen the resolve to locate the power of the past and bring it into the possibility of the future. If that is where you are or what you need this morning, we invite you to come forward for the first Aliyah this morning.